Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Jen, thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and I think people are going to be super excited about this topic today. So, you know, figuring out how to help busy professionals. But first off, I, I like to ask every guest how they got into, and in your case, health coaching, how you got into doing that. Well, I've always been a coach, even when I was in my previous career in research. I've always coached part-time just because I've, I've always enjoyed it. I've always loved fitness and health and nutrition and I've always consumed that information over the years, ever since I was a kid, which is kind of nerdy to say, but it's true. And I came to a point when I was slowly approaching 40th birthday, <laughs> I was a few years away. And I thought, man, you know, I, I wanted to do coaching full time when I was growing up. And, you know, before I went to college, and things like that, but family and friends, you know, advised against it because they didn't really think that you could make a career out of coaching. Uh, boy, were they wrong, <laughs> first of all. But you know, I, I tended to go back and revert back to what my first dream was, which was to get into coaching, you know, when I was younger. And so the closer I got to 40 midlife or whatever you want to call it, that's when it really started to hit me. And I made the jump about three years ago. Well, actually, I guess more like four years ago, but three years full time. And the rest is history right now. Awesome. And who do you tend to work with in your um, practice space, like what, you know, um, cause you're really more into the fitness athletic side of things, but also busy professionals. Am I right? Definitely. Mostly busy professionals. I would say on average, you know, the ages range really, there are a wide range of ages, but I'd say mostly thirties, forties, um, busy professionals. Sometimes they're fresh out of grad school or what have you. And they're trying to figure out how to balance everything because now they're no longer in college or they're no longer a college athlete and they're missing something in their life and they just want to be their healthiest self. And that's the cool part is they're adults. They can make their own decisions generally. So now it's just a matter of guiding them through those, those smarter decisions that benefit them for their goals overall. But yeah, definitely busy professionals. I, I certainly work with a lot of mountain bikers, of course, uh, but for the most part, I would say busy professionals, which of course is a huge umbrella because everyone seems busy, but they're just trying to balance not spending hours in the kitchen, not spending hours at the gym and making things enjoyable and more long-term and sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I think for those of you guys that don't know out there, both Jen and I are mountain bikers. So it's a big part of it. So um, how we got connected. But I think one of the biggest objections that I get in practice is when I'm giving folks things that they need to do, time becomes this overwhelming component. Well, I don't have time to eat right. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to work out. I don't have any time to do these things that you need me to do, you know, which is going to transition you into a healthier lifestyle. And so in managing that objection, I thought that that was great that we can target this to busy people because I'm incredibly busy. And I understand that you cannot spend hours at the gym, although I would like to, just not, it's not reasonable. Um, so when we're looking at the busy professional, or let's start with that versus a traveling professional, but the busy professional, what are some, some tips that you give? to maybe shorten time down in the kitchen to make healthier decisions around food? That's a great question, Anne. And that's probably the most popular thing that I cover in my coaching practice, hands down. Mm -hmm. So I'd say in the kitchen, I'm a real big proponent with that prep thing. It's nothing fancy. You're not making Instagram ready or worthy meals every single day of your life, but that's fine. That's not really the goal. The goal is to really fuel you properly and have have the food be enjoyable. You know, it doesn't mean that it needs to be tasteless or season seasonless or anything like that. But batch prepping basically means you're cooking a lot of different things all at once, almost like if you were working in a kitchen and a professional kitchen, but of course, certainly not the professional kitchen, 
but you have things in the oven, for example, you have maybe a couple of one sheet pan dishes, you know, with chicken, if you're, if you consume meat or chickpeas or what have you, uh, with chicken and a variety of other vegetables that you're roasting and baking in the oven. So you have a couple sheets of that. Then you, after that, you can have a, a full sheet of potatoes that you're going to put in there. And, you know, on the stove, you could be cooking and boiling some rice. And then in a steamer elsewhere, you could be, you know, doing some broccoli or whatever your favorite vegetables are, variety of those, you know, bok choy, things like that. So you're cooking a multitude of things. If you have a grill, you can even, you know, gosh, you can cook even more uh, items. And I personally love the grill. I'm a big fan of the grill. I know that's obviously not reasonable for everyone just because of living in an apartment and things like that. But, you know, having a grill does give you extra space outside of the kitchen. And there is a way, I will say the first couple of times you do this, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a an uncomfortable dance <laughs> between the kitchen and everything else. And it feels like you're balancing a lot of things, but I will say with just a couple of hours, maybe once, maybe twice a week doing it this way, uh, it saves you so much time in the long run. And then that way, you know, come a busy Monday, for example, you're back in the office, you're, you know, doing the basic nine to five, if that's what you have or a shift worker you know what you're going to to have because what's really cool is with batch prepping, you have a lot of batched items made. So you have a lot of batched carbohydrates like rice, quinoa, things like that. And then you might have some mixed salads already cut up that you cut up while things were steaming and baking in your, in your oven. And what's cool is you can bake, you know, make a, uh, like a burrito bowl or like a taco bowl, or you can make, you know, a quinoa salad, and then you can have the pan dish for dinner that you made with chicken then you have some potatoes that you can obviously make as a base for something else. Um, same thing with breakfast. You know, I'm real big with batch prepping breakfast as well. So I'll make a ton of blueberry chocolate chip pancakes. And that's my thing because I tend to work out in the morning. So I, I usually consume a lot more carbohydrates in the morning, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I batch prep a lot of that to have ready where it only takes me just a minute or two to reheat. And then I have an egg bake, you know, that has a ton of vegetables in it. So I'm filled up. Because then I have those items for breakfast, for example. I'm adding some avocado, so I'm adding some healthy fats to it. And boom, I have breakfast in basically five minutes. And what's really cool is the egg bake. It's by the name, you bake it. You know, it takes maybe 40 minutes to bake. But that's what you're baking as a batch prepped meal, you know, on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day is convenient for you. That way, when the weekend does come, you can maybe have a little bit of a fancier dinner, you know, like something that's at home or maybe eat out or get some food to go. I guess it's what we're doing now, <laughs> but it just opens up so much, so much of your time and so much of your schedule just by doing that, because then you don't really have the question of what am I having for dinner? Because what's cool is you can mix and match those foods, however you want, because then you can add sauces, different sauces, different seasonings, everything. So you can have a different flavoring for all of those meals, even though you're using the same basic staple items, if that makes sense. Right. You know, totally. like I have a tzatziki sauce that I love. I have a, a salsa with habanero and peach that I love to mm -hmm. add to it. Just things like that. So you have to really find the things that you enjoy and make them work for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's been really interesting that I've heard in, cause I've cooked for a long time. So I've, mm -hmm. I have, um, I was kind of the, you know, when low fat was a craze, I was definitely eating a lot more protein. I would almost call myself paleo at that time because I had to heal myself. So I was 20 years ago, there weren't very many options. So I really learned to cook. Right. Um, and so now I think I'm so far removed from that because I have cooked for so long that I'm like, yeah, I can whip up the sauce. I can do this. I can make this thing from scratch. I make you know, granola from whatever. Right. Mm. But I think I've gotten so far removed from what the struggles are. And, you know, for a patient one time I tried to go vegan, okay. Completely vegan, but no grain vegan. Okay. You should have seen me on a hike. First off, I didn't even know what to eat. Like I'm just like massive amounts of fruits and vegetables. Yeah. I end up on a very light duty hike and I'm like holding the wall because I'm so weak. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this long term. I don't know how you do this. Oh, no. <laughs> it was just not enough calories. <laughs> but I think I got a real good snapshot of how people, how people struggle when I was, when it took away a lot of the foods that I was used to cooking or used to making. And so 
found that to, to be a pretty good eye opener, you know, yeah. um, but I would also say the other real objection I get about food, people don't know how to shop or to purchase items in a store. <laughs> Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? Oh yes. I get a lot of questions, you know, well, Jen, what do you think of these two items? And then I, I usually turn the question back on them and I ask them, what do you think of them? You know, if you look at the labels, what are your first thoughts? You know, look at the ingredients. What are your first thoughts? What are your gut reactions? And then they start to explore the question because they kind of already know the answer more or less, but it's just a matter of, I think, unfortunately, media has just twisted things so much and everyone and someone's aunt and someone's boyfriend says this and someone's doing intermittent fasting and someone's doing keto. So it's very confusing. Nutrition's really confusing. But what's really awesome about nutrition is that it's still kind of in its infancy in terms of research. We're still doing a lot of research and we're still discovering so much, especially when it comes to our, you know, microbiome and things like that. And, and, you know, all of the good bacteria and I can go down a whole other tangent with that, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, we're still, there's still much, still so much information that's coming out that I think people start to freeze and then they get analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. So once they pause and they look at the things that they're, that they're deciding between in the store, for example, and usually it's like two different brands of peanut butter or cashew butter or something like that. That's probably the most common thing that I see. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I will say like that, or like sometimes, you know, what about rice or quinoa? And, you know, I, I can't really, as a health coach, I can't really answer that for them because I feel like it's something that they need to discover, especially if they are having any type of upset gut or things like that, or if they, they might not they might notice that maybe they can't tolerate certain foods. So I'm never going to push foods on, on people that they might not tolerate, obviously. But if I were to give it a nice summary, I would say, you know, obviously the perimeter of the store is going to be most advantageous for most people because it's where most whole foods are going to be found. And by that, I mean, you know, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, um, fresh, you know, meats and things like that eggs, you know, some dairy products, if you can tolerate that as well, um, baked goods, things like that, that are fresh from the bakery or fresh from, you know, the, the butcher or fresh from, you know, the seafood counter, whatever, that's yeah. going to be your safest bet. Once you start to go down the aisles, things start to get a little bit more complex or it can complicate people with their decision-making. And that's when they start asking, well, which rice is better, which, you know, which is, which is better for this? Because I noticed that I'm bloating after brown rice, but I thought brown rice was healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other discovery, you know, and then you start talking about other things like FODMAPs and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's so individual with the person and it depends on what they like. Um, obviously, cause I'm not going to tell someone to eat something that they were not enjoying. Right. And, you know, and honestly, I'm never really going to tell anyone or advise someone to take foods away from them unless of course they're intolerant, have an allergy, or it's a trigger food that's in their house. You know, a common trigger food is like for some people I work with, it's granola, <laughs> which I can understand that because I, I freaking love granola. <laughs> um, but it's also Oreos for me too. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's things like that. It's things like that. Though. So, you know, but that's like a trigger food. And by that, I mean, you know, they're not able to mindfully just slow the heck down and, and mindfully mm-hmm. eat the food. So, so yeah, perimeter eating looking at the ingredients, you know, if they can, if they're going down the aisle, they can look at the ingredients, the simpler, the better, generally speaking, you know, something that's maybe a little bit preservative free, things like that. Um, Hopefully lower in sugar, not that sugar is, you know, awful, but it can obviously cause a whole slew of issues, especially if you chronically eat in a a large amount of it, Um, Mm -hmm. not even that large of an amount, but you know, you just have to be mindful of the food that you're putting in. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing. It's just kind of opening their eyes to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's so fun. You mentioned granola. So I am super allergic to oats. Oats are just not my jam. And so I, I used to go on granola vendors. Like I used to love granola. I remember a, a woman one time said, she's like, God, I just, I drank a lot last night. And I was like, I know what you mean. I had, I had a little too much granola. And she's like, that was super weird. That just <laughs> That's true. I mean, I, I felt bad, but it was, it was too much sugar at one time. Right. But anyway, yeah. I clearly outdid my oats. But I think you mentioned, uh, yeah, sorry, side note. You mentioned a really good point that I think is important to bring up. And you said intuitive eating. And I think for folks that don't know what that is, um, can you just go ahead and explain that? Intuitive eating can be, you know, it's kind of a hotter topic now, 
just because we're trying to get away from strict eating in terms of like weighing and measuring your food or portioning it out or, you know, you can kind of imagine the rabbit hole that you would go down with that. So with intuitive eating, it's more a matter of getting in touch with how, how your body responds to the foods that you're eating. You know, how do you get a little bit excessively bloated? Cause I mean, it's some level of bloat is normal. If you talk to a majority of, of RDs and things like that, but if it's excessive and if it's painful and if it's, if you get moody after eating things, I mean, there's a lot of triggers uh, that can become visible to either you or your partner. If your partner brings it to your attention, but you know, once you eat certain things, you start to notice like, okay, all right, that's, that's how I feel a short term, like a short period of time after I eat things. But keep in mind, it could also last for several hours into the next day. Everyone's different. It could also be a couple of days, you know, afterwards, uh, especially when you're talking about like allergies or sensitivities or things like that, depending on the scale of the allergy. Mm-hmm. So that's when it's really a matter of getting in touch with your hunger cue and also what foods make you feel good? You know, what foods make you feel better? You know, and, and I tend to spin this with my, my clients and try to empower them with, first of all, understanding what their hunger cues are, because for everyone, it's different. Some people don't even get hunger pangs, like growling stomachs. Some people just don't get that. Some mm-hmm. people get headaches instead, which is, you know, kind of an awful way to, to discover that you're hungry. Um, some people can get a little bit moody or just feel a loss in energy. Whatever hangry. it is, I ha- yeah, hang- hangry, hangry is a popular one. That's me. That's me too. Um, yeah, totally. Especially if I push it too far, and I'm like, oh, I can, I can do this. I can hammer this out for work in like 30 more minutes. 30 more minutes, and of course, that 30 minutes turns into 90. But uh, and on a mountain bike ride, it's awful. Awful. <laughs> yeah, awful. Mm-hmm. So you want to avoid the bonk, but get in touch with what are your hunger cues first, you know, and about keep in touch with uh, or get in touch with how long it usually takes after certain meals for that to, to come about. And then, okay, let's figure out your power foods. That's what I call them. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's like bison, blueberries, uh, gosh, really any fruit. I love, I love fruit. I'm from Florida originally. So I mm-hmm. love fruit. Um, I also love sweet potatoes, gold potatoes. Those are power foods. They make me feel really good. Um, white rice actually makes me feel really good compared to brown rice. I can mm-hmm. actually get a little bit of a stomach upset from brown rice, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I have a variety of, and a list of power foods. And of course I'm just listing off mine, you know, avocado, I can keep going, mm-hmm. but those are the foods that I feel really good, good after eating. I feel, I feel nice and, and satisfied and they, they hold me over for a few hours, you know, until my next meal and they don't cause any kind of gastric, you know, upset. And that is magical when people start to, to find out that they don't need to necessarily weigh and measure or portion out food but figure out, okay, these are the foods that serve me really well and provide me enough energy and nutrients, of course. And uh, how do I incorporate them more often into my meals? So then they usually, I have them create, you know, a list of carbohydrates that are a little bit more complex some simpler carbs. If they want vegetables galore, uh, Mm -hmm. because some people obviously don't tolerate every single vegetable, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with proteins, you know, and if they're vegan or vegetarian, then, okay, what are the protein sources that you, that you really love? And that's where it becomes pretty magical because then they can kind of mix and match meals. Then they find different, you know, types of meals and types of cooking that they might enjoy, uh, different types of cuisine, you know, and it's really empowering for them because then they, they start to learn, especially with the mindfulness aspect coupled with that, they start to learn to eat until they're satisfied instead of stuffed and feeling miserable. And they really just get in touch with their, themselves. It's e- it's easier as a process instead of all at once, mm-hmm. because then it can get a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I can, I can see that when, when folks first come in to see me, um, I generally in the past have done an elimination diet and like that changes, but people, it's interesting for me to see who is in touch and then who's not and has no idea. And then when we actually run the labs, I'm like, wow, how did you, this is so fascinating. And then women tend to be much more intuitive and can do intuitive eating and can know how something's making them feel other than men. And I'm not singling you guys out, but women can really see the difference. They're like, yes, causation correlation that this X, Y, Z gave me a headache. This made that I did see that my blood sugar plunged on that. I needed, they, they can intuitively eat much easier. I have seen than men and know once you remove the food from your diet and add it back in, 
then they can really see how it makes them feel. And it's interesting and a lot more women will give up that food and then men will too, but it takes them a little longer. They have to suffer through it. In my opinion, a little bit longer. I don't have research on that, but that's just what I've seen throughout practice. Isn't it fascinating though? I I kind of wonder why that is, you know, in terms of just being in touch or being more willing to kind of explore some things maybe too. So, Mm -hmm. and that's the big thing that I tell my clients when we first start working together is you have to be willing to be your own experience experiment. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can kind of listen to research all you want. And this is coming from a former researcher, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not discrediting any research by any means, but you have to kind of understand that even though research might prove something or show something rather, um, you have to still try it on yourself, you know, like for me, I push brown rice so much because I love brown rice, I love brown rice. And then when I finally discovered when I was, you know, journaling what I was eating, I was like, dang, I think it's a food that I really enjoy. And I wasn't looking forward to giving it up. So I haven't given it up yet, but it's something that I don't have every day. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's something I have maybe once a month and it doesn't, it doesn't upset my stomach that way. But something you have to find out yourself. You know what my big one was? It was a huge supper fest. Mine was eggs. Oh yeah. I mean, and if you put a plate of eggs Benedict in front of me, I'd be so happy. I'd be so happy with a side of granola, but my like breakfast food was cut short, like very short. And so you'll see me eating like chicken with vegetables for breakfast. Mm -hmm. But ultimately I think that we, I see a lot of things on social media and it kind of makes me chuckle. Like you have to eliminate these foods. It has to be these foods. And I'm like, really? Once you actually clean up somebody's gut and you really see what their food sensitivities are, everybody's a little bit different. There's not like hard and fast rules of this diet looks like this, this diet looks like that. I think everybody's pretty individualized when it really comes down to it. Yes. You nailed it, Anne. I like to call it the Anne diet or the Jen diet or whomever, <laughs> you know, fill in my client's name diet because mm-hmm. honestly, everyone's so different. And some people, you know, might be intolerant, not necessarily to like, you know, nightshades, for example, but maybe just like peppers or like, it's just one of them and -hmm. it's not all of them. But so it's really fascinating. You know, I don't, I don't like to put people in blanket statements or in, in certain silos because I feel like we're, we're just so much more complex than that. And that's Mm -hmm. what, that's what makes it so interesting. I love exploring. Yeah. I think, and I think also what we've seen here or what we've moved into has been people that give up all these foods and then they won't incorporate anything back in and you see them eating like vegetables and protein and that's it. Like nothing else. Like they're afraid to eat anything else. And that gets so restrictive after a while to not have any other sources of food because they've been so sick. And I think it's really important at the end of the day, not to control something like that with food, but to actually figure out what's causing that gut dysregulation versus that. <laughs> yes. You have to get to the bottom of it. I mean, that's the big thing. You really do need to get to the bottom of it because if you're not think about, you know, the months, weeks, months, and years that you could potentially just be not feeling good. quite as energetic. Yeah. Not feeling good. Just kind of having a little, you know, I don't know that feeling. I don't even know how to explain it, but I think we've all felt it to some degree at some point in our life. You can't quite put your finger on it. If, if you're feeling that way, I think it's really important to explore your diet and explore the things that you're consuming and putting in your body, on your body, things like that. I think it's really important to, to be open to that. On your body. I like it. So yeah. what, have you found anything with that that's like a, a standout? Because that's, I, I mean, I think that's critical. I think toxins are huge. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, especially with the women that I, that I work with, I'm real big on, okay, what what type of makeups do you use if you are, starting to feel things like, okay, nutrition's dialed, but you're still kind of like, nothing's quite at a hundred percent. And not that we're looking for a hundred percent, but we're looking at a good improvement, right? And that's when you're looking at, you know, cosmetics, um, lotions, things like that. And again, looking at the ingredient list and, you know, I know recently I've had some clients that have had um, some really bad eczema And it was a matter of us having them, you know, consult with their dermatologists. And of course I gave them some, you know, interesting advice to them. And I was just like, dude, eczema, I've had it before uh, because of the recent stress that's going on with everything. And, you know, we need to address the stress naturally. Like let's get some, you know, meditation in, some mindful breathing, things like that. So I coached them on that. 
but then also let's find if it's your detergents or your fabric softeners, something that is behind the your back of your knees because it was the back of their her knees on one client and then elbow pits on the other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, pretty common areas for like an eczema breakout. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, we t- tended to explore, but I was like, let's just do one thing at a time and not everything at a time. That way you're not changing everything and you have no idea what, what the actual issue was. The big thing that they noticed was a huge difference in stress actually. So I know it's not necessarily topical, like what we we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. but the other one did notice a big difference when we did actually switch to a more you know, unfortunately it's a little bit more of a heavy duty lotion because it was a matter of, she was getting such dry skin that, and, you know, thyroid was fine. Everything was fine there. You know, blood work was fine with her CBC, but unfortunately it was a matter of her lotion just wasn't working anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And we looked at the lotion and it did have a really high level of alcohol in it. And of course, alcohol is going to dry you out even more. So it was almost like a little bit of a circle for her. And what's funny is she and I were actually going through the same thing in parallel because I was having dry skin all over my body at the same time. And it was a matter of, again, looking at the ingredients and just seeing the alcohol on the ingredient list, but higher on the ingredient list. And this was an organic, you know, clean, technically, quote unquote, I hate to use that word, but a a good brand lotion, but it just had a lot of alcohol in it. And she was using a, a similar brand, but again, just a lot of alcohol in it. So that's when you have to kind of notice, you know, um, what you're putting on your body. And I mean, there's so many, there's hundreds of things that are found, especially in cosmetics. And by cosmetics, I don't just mean, you know, makeup and things like that, but face wash, lotions, things like that. And, you know, and it's worth looking at definitely uh, Mm -hmm. because I think a a buildup of that over years could probably impact some things for, you know, depending on the person. Yeah, totally. Um, estrogen disruptors, hormone disruptors, reproductive disruptors, like it's like chemical on top of chemical. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody should know about the environmental working group.org, um, yeah. EWG, and just like go through your cosmetics and see like what is potentially going on with those. But I, you know, I, I, again, I've got so far removed from this and you see me in the kitchen slathering on coconut oil on my body because I'm just that person <laughs> wow. at this point, <laughs> because, you know, I just don't, don't buy that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's been, you know, I think I forget, I mean, sometimes just the basics are so important and what you're putting on your skin. I had a patient that um, came in and was getting dizzy. It was like vertigo all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, she'd had a, she had had a surgery um, recently and on the scar, they had her put on a cream and the cream was actually causing her dizziness, like just as simple as that, but it was complete vertigo, complete, complete vertigo. And so looking at what had changed and going through that, I think you bring up a good point. Like what exactly has changed? What's different? Um, are you using a different detergent? Did you switch, you know, your conditioner, shampoo, whatever it is, any cosmetics, um, you know, that could be contributing to something like eczema or dry skin, but stress is huge. You know, um, so I used to get, I used to get really bent out of shape in practice about adrenal fatigue. I thought, uh, oh, the stress and the adrenal fatigue and adrenal, whatever. Um, but as I look at it more and when I'm running testing, I'm really seeing that people have burned out their epinephrine and norepinephrine completely. And, you know, and a lot of times that may or may not be showing up, showing up on cortisol yet, but people are totally, totally burned out with their chemicals And, you know, if you have a lot of epinephrine and norepinephrine in your system, it's going to, you're basically going to have cortisol circulating. And so I think stress is huge. And I think stress reduction techniques are even better. So um, what, I mean, what are you recommending to people? Because I think everybody can benefit from stress reduction. Everybody. Without a doubt. (laughs) Without a doubt. Uh, so in my previous career, (laughs) I was stressed kind of burnout, even though I actually loved what I was doing at the time. I love research and love traveling every week. And and I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the team with which I worked, but (laughs) unfortunately in the process, I gave myself a little bit of high blood pressure 
and things like that. And just with the stress and, and because I wasn't sleeping, I was sleeping maybe four or five hours a night, which is awful to even admit that. And, and you know that that's an issue, but when you're traveling and on the road, it's, it's tough because you're taking late flights, you're sleeping in hotel beds. You can kind of imagine. So for me, what worked for me was breathing exercises. And this is something I've done on and off since I was actually a kid just to help with anxiety and things like that. Um, you know, for some people, meditation is fantastic, but I think that if we can just focus on something that we're already doing, hopefully breathing and just simplify it and kind of break it down into, okay, well, first of all, let's look at the way in which we are breathing. Cause generally a lot of people breathe up here because mm-hmm. we're just tense or like, for example, I have the, my laptop in front of me, obviously. And, you know, we get into mad scientist poses. <laughs> right? So we're, we're yes. you know, the chins like forward. That. Yeah. It's just, you <laughs> basically look like you're, you're over your, your laptop and, <laughs> and you have to just check in with yourself. So that's the first thing I say it's, okay, let's check in with your posture first, you know, like just throughout the day, let's check in with your posture in the process. Every time you check in with your posture, I want you to take you know, at least two to three breaths into your belly button. And what that means is you're going to, when you breathe in, the belly button will come out, which I know sounds kind of weird. And same thing with when you breathe out, you know, let's breathe in. Okay. Try to push it down into basically the bottom of your your diaphragm area, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to breathe a little bit deeper, not necessarily a bigger breath, but you're just trying to breathe deeper or lower into your body. And the key here too is through the nose because that helps with a variety of things, you know, just getting your nitric oxide, you know, stimulated and things like that. But also we're technically when we're stressed, we tend to breathe through our mouth, which isn't necessarily ideal for hydration purposes, you know, obviously keeping yourself, your immune system nice and, and, uh, and functioning properly, I should say stress, you know, breathing through your mouth, it just increases your stress even more. But if you breathe through your nose, you know, just close your mouth. You don't have to tape it shut yet, but just close your mouth. Mm-hmm. Focus on breathing through your nose, breathing deep, two, three breaths, start there with a posture check. So I just have them, you know, even set reminders if they want to on their phone every hour or on their, their Apple watch every hour or whatever. And that helps them get into that routine. Then from there, okay, let's find a few minutes a day where you can literally just set it aside can be like one to five minutes at first, just depends on their tolerance level because a lot of people can't sit still and just sit there and then do the deep breathing, but count your breaths one to 10. So get up. The goal is to get up to 10 breaths. However, if you don't get to 10 breaths, don't worry about it. Just brush it off. Don't kick yourself in the butt or anything like that. Don't be, don't give yourself a hard time. Be gentle with yourself mm-hmm. and then just start back at one. So if you lose count at five, just start back at one, just keep starting back at one until your timer goes off or what have you. And those are a couple of easier ways to really just downregulate yourself, focus on your breath, focus on, you know, breathing through your nose. It's a variety of different things, but a lot of that can just implement, can be easily implemented, uh, especially if you're on your drive to work. These are things you can easily do without people really knowing what you're doing around you. These are things you can easily do when you're cooking dinner or, you know, taking a shower. I mean, anything really. So it's easy to implement. It's very accessible. And it's not super complicated. So mm-hmm. for because of that, it's easier to implement in general for most people who are busy or may not feel like they have the time for it. Because I think in general, you know, we can all find at least a minute to, to press pause and just sit and breathe and just focus on our breath. And I think that that is super beneficial. The other thing is, is honestly writing, you know, grabbing a piece of paper, having a journal, pen, you know, pencil, whatever you have. And just spend a couple of minutes after your workday and just word vomit on the piece of paper, you know, stream of consciousness and get all of the thoughts that you've kind of had lingering throughout the day, throughout the workday on that piece of paper. And it, it can be a very like, cathartic, just, it could just be a great release for a lot of individuals. And then normally I say, you know, Hey, if you're comfortable after you do the stream of consciousness, think of the three top things you need to do the next day leave it at that, close your laptop, close your, close everything down, turn off your phone from work calls. And that's, that's the sign of you being done with work for that day. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a variety of different ways, but hopefully those are a good handful of, of things that maybe some of your listeners can, can implement, you know, even starting today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the power of the breath, that is not to be discounted. No it's doubt. So crucial. 
You know, it's so interesting is I was a dancer growing up. And so I learned what we call paradoxical breathing. Paradoxical breathing is when you breathe in and you suck in your stomach. And then when you breathe out, it's weird. You suck in your stomach again. So, um, and, and that came from being in like tight leotards and, and all, and, and, you know, you didn't think about it at the time. And so I thought that that was just something that I was gifted, but the more people I see in practice, I would say women primarily paradoxically breathe because they're supposed to stay sucked in. Men tend to get it a little bit easier when you're talking about the breathing and being able to engage, but, but women have a little bit of a harder time because I think there's such a stigma that we have to have flat stomachs all the time. And so, you know, allowing people exactly like you said, in the car to really open up their abdomen or relax or an area where they feel comfortable, I think is very, very important. And I, I think. I think breathing, writing, meditation, I think all of that is so key to definitely mitigating stress for sure. But it's funny, it's free, it's cheap, it's totally free and it's easy, but people still don't quite do it, even though it makes such a huge impact. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's my, when I just like a minute. That's when I say just a minute. Mm-hmm. Just do it for a minute. Like try for a minute and generally the minute turns into maybe three, maybe five minutes. Hey, that's better than not doing it, in my opinion, you know, and then they feel empowered because then they grab the low hanging fruit and then they can kind of run with it. Like, okay, I did a minute today. It wasn't that bad. I'll do a minute tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of snowballs. So I'm an A-type personality and I felt like I sucked <laughs> at meditating. Like I felt so bad at it. Like, I'm like, am yeah. I doing this right? So I actually had to get a device and a clip on my ear to see my heart rate while I'm doing it and and watch that change because I felt like I, it wasn't I wasn't getting the same results. But when you actually are tracking it over a period of time, you can really see your gains. But I think also type A personalities feel a lot like I do. Am I doing this right? Am I my mind's wandering? Did I mess the whole thing up? Like, are we done? Like, did I? Yep. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's get into exercise. Um, so, you know, how, what are you recommending for an exercise routine for folks getting into shape or really trying to peak, you know, what are some generalities around that? So if they're trying to just get into shape and get back into fitness and things like that, I I think walking is so underrated. It's something that we can easily do. It doesn't require any extra equipment or anything like that. It also doesn't require a ton of time, you know, but try to get in even just a 30 minute walk every morning. It's a really great way to start your day. If you can, if you have a dog bonus, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, walking is going to be, I'd say the, the biggest thing, but other than that, I feel like strength training is incredibly important. You know, any type of strength training, whether it's with resistance bands or dumbbells or kettlebell or something like that, where there is just tension on the muscle, because that's when we can increase, you know, strength and things like that. It can, I can't emphasize how positive strength is for progress in general, especially if you're looking at fat loss, if you're looking at your just overall health and things like that, because in the process, you're increasing your grip strength, which I know recent studies have shown correlate with your overall health as a human. Um, plus it just makes you feel better. It helps with that posture that I talked about earlier. So you're not the mad scientist, you know, leaning over, but especially if you're working your upper back muscles, you're going to have a better posture throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think it's better. Look at your schedule because everyone's different with this, right? Pick at least three days a week, two to three days a week, where you're able to do some sort of resistance training. And it doesn't have to be for a long time. It doesn't have to be for hours on end or even an hour. You can do it in a matter of 15 to 30 minutes. Just get some strength training in, you know, get some resistance bands, get some dumbbells, whatever you need. Um, I know I have a variety of, of videos on my YouTube channel if anyone needs any ideas, but, you know, get to doing some like goblet squats, for example. That way you can you can focus on your core strength. Start doing some lunging or some sort of deadlift where you're bending over. Um, you know, a lot of pulling exercises because we tend to be pretty strong hu- humans are anyways with pushing, but let's not neglect our pulling muscles, which will help 
with the upper back and, and strengthening baths. So things like face pulls or gosh, there's a variety. I mean, there's so many ways we can go down this, but think about like things that are complementary. So, you know, pushing and pulling. So squatting and deadlifts, for example, and, you know, a push up with a face pull or a row or something like that. And do a few rounds of that, superset them together, which means you basically do one exercise followed by another because it increases your heart rate a little bit, gives you a little bit more of a beneficial calorie burn if you want that. And just helps you make, make you feel good because you're constantly moving for 15 to 30 minutes with a variety of exercises and you're just rotating through. And then of course, getting some core work. So look at, you know, bird dogs or dead bugs to start off with and then planks, you know, then graduate to side planks or long lever planks. I mean, there's so many ways you can go about this, but I feel like walking at least getting that into your, to your week, preferably daily, and then at least two to three days a week of, of strength work hopefully full body. That way you can get a nice, you know, upper body kind of, I don't want to call it a burn, but you're focusing on your, your strength throughout your entire body and you're not really neglecting anything. Um, but yeah, I feel like if you just rotate through those exercises and kind of mix it up and keep things interesting, that goes far. And again, it doesn't really take that much time, you know, again, 15, 30 minutes of strength training two, three times a week, plus you're walking. And then if you want and you're comfortable with it, you can do run walking, start to do intervals, maybe 30 mm -hmm. seconds of a little bit of a faster pace run, and then go back down to a walk. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be interesting and it has to be something that you enjoy. You know, for me, it's mountain biking. I'm sure for you, it's mountain biking. And mm -hmm. then I do strength. I do strength about three to four days a week. Right. And my strength training takes anywhere from 15 minutes to maybe an hour if I'm really feeling a little wild. Um, right. So yeah, hopefully, I don't know if that really... It's yeah. hard to, to answer a broad question like that it's without really going broad. like super, yeah, without yeah. going like super down a rabbit hole and be very specific, but hopefully that gives people some ideas. So you have people that really want to get, they want to take it to the next level with their performance, um, with the recommendations you're giving be a little different if they want it to really push it and take it to the next level. Yeah. So it would be more or less actually pretty similar. The thing is, is maybe volume will be a little bit different or intensity with which they're working or the weight in which they're, they're, you know, expressing on the barbell or on the, the dumbbells or something like that. That's when you're really looking at things progressing. And then of course, for like mountain biking clients and clients who are looking to, to really like PR, you know, their climb or something like that. That's when it's really beneficial to, to start to express power. I will say like, power is the amount of force you you basically express as a human, right? Um, I will say power, disclaimer, power is essential for everyone. As mm -hmm. we age, power is something that we lose very quickly. It's one of the first things that we lose even before stress or even before strength in general, mm -hmm. because not as you age, you're not really jumping a whole lot. You're not doing broad jumps. You're not, you're not doing any type of power movements, you know, uh, snatches, cleans and jerks, um, gosh, anything like an explosive push up, slamming a ball on the ground, you know, slamming a tennis ball against a wall. Any of those things express power because you're basically, you're putting, you're applying force to an object. So for mountain bikers and also any other client, I want them to eventually get through a power phase where they are slamming balls on the ground or something like that. And, you know, that, that's when everything's firing and that's when you can learn to express the power on your bike, for example, or in whatever sport you're doing running even. And yeah, that, I think that that's the biggest thing that I would see as a variation for my performance-based clients is helping them express power, but also just increasing their strength, you know, as much as they want to, depending upon their goals, of course, because everyone has different goals, but performance wise, you're really looking at, you know, how much, how easily can they, for example, I'll use mountain bikers since that's most of my clients, mm -hmm. um, how easily can they spin their bikes uphill without wanting to stop? You know, how comfortable are their muscles with that process and how much burn can they push through, you know, with their lactate filling up in their mouth, in their muscles. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when you're, you're really focusing on performance in general for their specific sport. So yeah, there's, there's a ton of different ways you can do it, but the biggest thing is expressing power and then increasing their like muscular endurance over a time, time period. That's going to be really beneficial for most people who are athletic. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think I, I think that's a great point. And what I notice, like with myself, I, I love cardio. I'm a cardio athlete. I love cardio. You know, my, mountain biking is a little bit aerobic and anaerobic. You know, you get a little bit of both, but um, but I definitely love cardio. So I got myself into trouble by I stopped lifting weights. And so I went for years just doing the cardio and then I got a pretty decent imbalance in my muscles and, you know, like where you can really be. So for example, I've spoken pretty like freely on here that I'm, I'm very quad dominant as, as a, as a mountain biker. Right. But I would be Mm -hmm. such a better biker if I was utilizing my glutes and my hamstrings, I'd be so much more powerful. You see that with runners, you see that across the board. And I would say, you know, I'm more quad dominant than most, but not by a lot. And I would, I, I think it's a pretty common trend that you see. I'm probably 90, 10 quads to hamstrings, but a wow. lot of people are 80 to 20. Yeah. 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 That's pretty, that's pretty like a dramatic change in terms of percentage wise. And that's why like focusing on, so basically how I break things up is I do push press right? So you're mm-hmm. talking like push-ups, then you can do elevated push-ups, incline push-ups, ring push-ups, you know, TRX push-ups, right? Dips. Um, then there's pulls. So like rowing, any type of motor rowing, pull up, lat pull down, face pull, uh, you know, a lot of like shoulder work or upper back work, uh, bicep, mm-hmm. tricep work. Then I'm looking at squats and quads is what I call it. Mm-hmm. And squats and quads pretty you can kind of understand what that is. It's mostly squatting, you know, lunging, uh, jumping lunges. And of course, when with squatting, there's, there's like at least a half dozen different varieties in squatting that you sure, can do. Totally. And then there's step ups too. Then, so there's push, press, pull squats and quads, hinge and hams is what I call it. And hinging and hams is like deadlifts. You're talking about bridge work. You're looking at good mornings, Um, and of course with deadlifts, there's like at least a half dozen varieties of deadlifts you can do. Hip thrusts are huge. I program them for probably everyone. And then there's core, right? And with the core, you're looking at like flexion, extension, you know, working your lower back and then also any type of twists. So any type of things that help work the entire core, right? Basically anti-rotational work. If you categorize the movements in those, what, three, five things, five different varieties or five different categories is what I do them for my clients. If you look at them with them, you can always do like regular squats, regular deadlifts, things like that. Right. But then you want to do single leg work too. Mm -hmm. You have to do single leg work too. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, unilateral is so important because, and that means like, you know, single leg or single, single arm movements, because especially for barbell athletes, athletes who use barbells a lot, you know, if you have both of your hands on the same point, right, the same lever, whatever you want to call it on a barbell, you're not able to isolate a certain muscle. And for me, like I can go ahead and say my right, my right shoulder's weaker than my left, or my right side's usually weaker than my left, just from years of playing tennis and messing up this shoulder. And everyone generally has ha- has some sort of imbalance. And it's really cool if you work with a coach that can discover that and can assess you and look at that and then go about programming something specifically for you to help get you out of that, or at least help, help your lifts be a little bit more beneficial to where you're not continuing with being quad dominant, for example, mm-hmm. you know, how, how can your quote, how can your coach wake up your glutes and your hammies and things mm-hmm. like that? And honestly, that's when you start to do things like hamstring curls or even like kickbacks. And like I said earlier, glute bridges, hip thrusts, um, hip extensions, just anything like that is so beneficial for someone who's quad dominant. And I see it so often with especially the mountain bikers that I work with for sure. Yeah. I just, uh, just my appearance, what I see on the trails. Uh, I mean, I think my problem is prevalent on the trails, but I would say most of the mountain bikers I see are quad dominant just based on how they're, they're moving through the, the cadence. Um, noticing that most people aren't pulling, they're only pushing. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty common. Um, oh, and yeah. I mean, when I was in school, they taught us, you know, it's about 80, 20, you know, quads to, or quads to hamstrings. So, mm-hmm. and I, I even think it's worse, you know, than when I graduated, which was, you know, 10, 11 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so kind of quite, a, I think quite a difference, but 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important? Uh, I mean, the big thing is obviously stress management. I I will say sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is hands down even more, I think, than nutrition to some degree because, man, if you don't have enough sleep, you could be eating so well and so, like, quote, unquote, healthy. But if you don't have adequate sleep and recovery, I I mean, I hate to sound so dramatic. It's kind of pointless, you know, to mm-hmm. some degree. Um that's pretty dramatic. I should probably take that back. But you know, that's how that's how much I think sleep is so important. You know, so if you're finding that you're waking up in the middle of the night, especially at the same time, you know, two to four a.m., and you have to wake up at like five or six, then start to look at your stress levels. Start to look at you know the foods that you're eating. Are you eating a little bit of more carbohydrates after your workouts because that can help blunt some cortisol and things like that. And and again, not saying cortisol is bad. Obviously, we need it. But there are certain things that you can do about that. And then setting a bedtime routine, turning off work at a certain time and being being a stickler with that. That's why when I was traveling earlier and I told you I would only get four or five hours of sleep, my traveling didn't really allow for good sleep hygiene. But also I was working on the hotel bed until, you know, ungodly hour in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that bedtime routine. You know, get that bedtime routine, have a hard shutoff time, especially with your electronics. Give yourself at least 60 minutes before you go to bed to, to have no screens, at least no screens that have blue light. Mm-hmm. You now, if you use a Kindle, turn that, turn that light all the way down. And there's a variety of things you can do, but, but I'd say that would, that would get you started on off onto a really strong lead there, getting that bed, bedtime routine and kind of winding down and having a process and things like that. And the more you do that over a course of a few weeks, the more your body will be ready to go to sleep and you'll, you'll hopefully sleep through the night. agree. 100% sleep is really one of the five pillars of health. It's so, so important. What also helped me is I wear a sleep mask. So like an eye mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, me too. Total black. And we have blackout, Blackout. but it wasn't enough. (laughs) It wasn't enough. Uh, I love it. I, I sleep like the dead now, but Mm -hmm. you know, but we actually get a little light pollution coming into the room and, you know, just using the eye mask was huge, you know, temperature and all of that. But, and all those other points are awesome. But I, I think like just having a routine at the end of the day where you're just taking a bath or taking a shower or just like really winding down and relaxing and no stress at the end of the day. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good time to do one of the breathing exercises, honestly, before bed do one of the breathing exercises, slow your, slow your roll a little bit before bed, and then it'll hopefully ease you, ease you into sleep. Yeah. Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, my website, it's shifthumanperformance.com. They can also email me at jen at shifthumanperformance.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram with get, you guessed it, shift human performance <laughs> and on Twitter at shift yourself up. But generally I always, you know, answer emails within a day. So reach out to me. I love to talk about this stuff. If anyone ever has any questions or needs just a little bit more guidance or if they want to coach. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Anne. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.